Welcome to The God Solution, where we discuss answers to humanity's questions about God and God's answers for humanity's questions. I'm Nate Herbst, and I'm so excited that you're listening this morning. I'm sorry if my voice sounds a little bit raspy. It's a bit under the weather today, so bear with me as I do this show. That being stated, I'm going to be apologizing for a lot more today. Today is going to be a show titled, I'm Sorry. A lot of times Christians have done really bad things in the name of Christ, and I think those need to be apologized for. And I don't mean to just do this to check it off the list. I hope that you'll listen and hear what I'm saying. And the reason I wanted to approach this show with this kind of attitude is because of what we talked about last week. Last week, we talked about the problem of pain and specifically the emotional side of the problem of pain, suffering, and evil. We talked about the famous question, how could a good and loving, all-powerful God allow pain, suffering, and evil in the world? If he was all-powerful and good, he would get rid of all the pain, suffering, and evil that we see around us. And since we see pain, evil, and suffering around us, then he's either not good or not all-powerful. That's been the accusation of the atheist for so many centuries. The problem for the atheist is that, one, they have no answer for the problem of evil. We talked about the reality that evil exists and that pain and suffering exist and that we all know that certain things are wrong and other things are right. And if naturalism is true, if metaphysical naturalism is true, if atheism is true, if those types of beliefs that there's nothing else other than this world are true, then there'd be no evil, there'd be no wrong, there'd be no bad. All those things would just be random bumping around of atoms, which would be no different than other bumping around of atoms. So the atheist has a real problem even criticizing anyone on this point because they don't have an answer for the problem of pain, evil, and suffering. But that's not so much what we focused on last week. I focused on the Christian answers, because I think as a Christian, we have better answers to this issue than anybody else in all the world does, than any other worldview does. And let's face it, every worldview has to answer this question. Every worldview has to deal with the reality that there's pain and suffering around us. If you're a Christian scientist, and by that I don't mean a scientist that's a Christian, I have a chemistry degree, and so you could call me a scientist that's a Christian, even though I'm not using that chemistry degree, That's very different from a Christian scientist. That's a cult, Christian science. The Christian scientists say all evil is just illusory, that it's just an illusion. That's not a very good answer to the problem of pain, suffering, and evil, right? The Dharmic religions would say evil is eternal. It's always existed. We can't explain where it came from. The problem is, is if reincarnation has been going for eternity, why hasn't it gotten rid of evil, so they can't answer the problem of evil. Like I just mentioned, the atheist can't answer the problem of evil. I might try to just be a pluralist that thinks everything is fine, but then I also run into the problem of evil if I take that route, because a pluralist, a pure pluralist, would have to agree that there's no standard. There's nothing that's objectively right or objectively wrong. So as a Christian, I realize there really is pain, evil, and suffering in the world, and I think it's important for us to admit that reality right from the start. As a Christian, I also have some good answers to this problem. We have the famous free will answer. God loved us so much that when he created us, he created us desiring to have true relationship and true fellowship with us. And because he desired to have relationship with us, not just to make us robots, he gave us free will. 
In giving us free will, he allowed the opportunity or possibility for evil. He did not create evil, but allowed the possibility of evil. You could think of it like this. I've heard an analogy that really makes it make sense. There's no such thing as cold as far as a substance goes. Cold is really just the absence of heat, just like evil would be the absence of good. So goodness is how something relates to the standard of good, which is God himself. And evil would be failing to match up to the standard of good, which is God himself. So in giving us free will, God allowed us either to walk in a way that lines up with his standard of goodness or to walk in such a way that does not line up with his standard. And when we fail to match up to his standard, that's evil. That's what the Bible calls sin. God gave us the opportunity to do that in the garden. We chose sin. We chose evil. That's why evil exists in this world. We have chosen not to live up to God's standard of love and perfection. So we have a good free will answer. Now, some would say, what about natural disasters? How do those fit in? Well, they have a free will component as well. The Bible says that our own free will and the decision to sin in the garden, and that decision's been perpetuated ever since that time, has led to an entire universe that is in decay. Now, we know that's even true as far as the law of entropy. This whole universe is winding down towards decay. And the Bible says that's the case. Again, you could make a side note that that's another reference to science in the Bible. But the reality is that this whole universe is falling apart. And we will see really bad things happening in the natural world around us. Additionally, William Lane Craig would note, and others as well, that the natural disasters present on this planet allow us to live in such a way that we understand that our choices have consequences. If I decide to live next to the ocean, I may die in a tsunami. If I decide to live on a fault line, I might die in an earthquake. If I eat junk food, I might get cancer and die. So those natural problems, that natural suffering, is also related in some sense to free will. And God's created this world in a way that teaches me that my choices actually have consequences and that I have to have a sense of responsibility so that I would realize that my choices have eternal consequences as well and that I'm responsible to seek God and find him so that I don't spend eternity separated from him. So there's a good free will answer to the problem of pain and suffering and evil that I see all around me. Additionally, the Christians have a phenomenal answer in that we know there's a purpose, a greater good. So some would say good is the lack of pain and the maximization of enjoyment here on this planet. Well, we're all going to die anyway. And as a Christian, I know there's a greater good than any good that could be experienced here on this earth. And that greater good is an eternity with God in heaven. So if God can allow pain, suffering, and evil on this earth in such a way as to maximize the number of people that are in eternity with him, well, that would be a very good thing. He'd be maximizing the most good. And I'm glad that he does that. So there's a purpose in pain, suffering, and evil. He's bringing as many people as possible into heaven, and he's developing the character of his followers here on this earth. In fact, the Bible says to count it pure joy when you face trials of various kinds, knowing that God is working through those to develop our character. It even says in Hebrews 12 that God uses those same trials as discipline to produce a harvest of righteousness in our lives. So the Christian's answer to the problem of pain is one we have free will and we can choose to do bad things with it. We see that all around us. 
And two, God has a purpose, so he can even allow those bad things to happen, allowing them for a greater purpose, allowing them to do even better in our lives. And Romans 8, 28 in the Bible tells us that he'll work everything for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purposes. So those are good answers. We talked about the reality last week that those answers are kind of theoretical and philosophical when you're in the middle of pain and suffering yourself. And with that in mind, I interviewed my friend Scott, who's on staff with the same ministry I am, about some of the hard things he's been dealing with this past year. His brother died seven months ago, and it's been an incredibly hard time. We talked about the emotional problem of pain. So we have these good theoretical answers. But how do those help you? And what is your hope when you're in the middle of pain and agony? And he talked about the reality that those answers are good, but while we walk through pain, we have something greater than just theoretical answers. We have God himself living inside of us, comforting us. The Bible actually calls the Holy Spirit the comforter. And when we put our faith and trust in Christ, the Bible tells us that he puts his Holy Spirit in us and that we can't lose his Holy Spirit after that point. So the reality is that if you've put your faith and trust in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit in you. And the Bible says the Holy Spirit is a comforter, the comforter, in fact. And he comforts you in the midst of whatever trials, whatever hardships, whatever pain, suffering, or evil you experience. So not only do we have the theoretical but real answers to the problem of pain, but we also have this emotional answer found in the person of God himself living in us, comforting us with his very own presence and his very own word as we deal with pain, suffering, and evil. So we have an answer to pain, suffering, and evil. Now, that brings up a new question that I wanted to address this week. And that question is, what about Christian evil? So some, like Christopher Hitchens, would say, like in his famous book, God is Not Great, that religion poisons everything, that Christians are the cause of so much bad and so much pain and so much suffering and so much evil in the world, and they have been throughout the centuries. Now, to be fair to him, he wouldn't say that it's only Christians, but he'd say other faiths have contributed to that as well. But the reality is that there's an accusation that Christians are the cause of this. We've even heard of a Fort Lewis College professor saying in class that Christians are the cause of all the world's problems. That's a pretty harsh criticism, and it's one that's not very good. Now, I'm not saying that the school endorses that the school's been good to us in so many different ways, but sometimes you hear these accusations in academia, in public spheres, in media, saying that Christians really have been the cause of so much pain, suffering, and evil. Now, I don't want to just shrug that off and say, ah, you're crazy, because there have been so many things throughout history that seem to justify that criticism. Of course, not the blanket statement that they're the cause of all pain, suffering, and evil. What a nonsense statement. What about Stalin, one of the biggest mass murderers in history? What about Hitler, who, even though maybe he portrayed himself as a Christian at times, was an avowed humanist, he loved Nietzsche's writings, he shared those with other dictators of the time, like Mussolini, and he was convinced that God was not real. He was part of the occult and all these other things. He was definitely no Christian. But Stalin, a famous atheist, Mao, another atheist combined, killed probably more people than anybody in history. 
Hitler wasn't far behind them. But these atheists, in the name of their atheism, did a whole lot of bad. So it's crazy to say that Christians have done it all, uh, or even a significant part of it. But again, I don't want to just shrug off that accusation. I want to talk about it this morning, and I really want to come to this apologizing for what Christians have done wrongly in the name of God. Now again, this show is all about apologetics, and I often say that the word apologetics does not mean apologizing. The word apologetics comes from the Greek word apologia, which means to give a defense. So on this show, we give a defense for the claims of Christianity. We do that from logic and history and science and philosophy and other areas. But the reality is that sometimes apologetics as a field includes apologizing for things in our past which are not good. So that's what I want to do this morning. I want to come to this show apologizing for some of the horrible things that have been done in the name of God in the past. Now, as I get there, I want to mention one more thing, and that's the reality that we should never judge a philosophy by its abuse. It's true that Christians have done some horrible things in the name of God, but we also have to remember that Christ himself told us to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourself. He even told us to pray for our enemies and to do good to them, not to harm them. So the reality is that when I see people doing horrible things in the name of Jesus, you can't possibly call them Christians because they're not following Jesus. So I would say many of these horrible things done in the name of Christ were done by people portraying themselves as Christians but not following Christ. And if you don't follow Christ, you're not a true Christian, no matter what you call yourself. Sam Harris, another atheist, put it this way. He said, let's face it, not many of us lay awake in bed at night worrying about the Amish. <laughs> That's a good way of putting it. There are some faiths that endorse pain, suffering, evil, that endorse violence. If you read through some faiths, they endorse war, they endorse beheading, they endorse killing people that think differently than you. They endorse those things. Christianity does not do that. If you look at some religions, their founders were men of war that murdered and murdered and murdered, even murdering innocent people because they looked at them wrong. Jesus did not do that. Jesus went to the cross dying the death that we deserved without doing anything out of vengeance or retribution. So when we look at Christ, when we look at his teaching, we see a very different picture than the evil that's been done in his name. And it's also important to note that Christians have done so much good throughout history. The end of the worldwide slavery issue in the 1800s was driven by Christians. The modern-day issue of sex trafficking and human trafficking is also being confronted and hit head-on predominantly by Christians. Christians started the universities that have led academia for centuries. Look at Harvard. Look at their, their mission statement from their very start. It was to train people for ministry. Christians have started the majority of hospitals, the majority of orphanages. So much modern good is even being done today by Christians. So it's wrong to say they've done so much bad and and, and no good. The reality is that people in the name of Christ have done bad. I would say that those people weren't following Christ and couldn't be called true Christians. 
Also, true Christians have done so much good throughout history and continue to do that today. Now, back to that very real issue, though. What about the evil that's been done incorrectly in the name of Christ? Well, a lot of evil has been done. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to The God Solution on KDUR, 91.9 and 93.9 FM in Durango and KDUR.org online. This is an interesting show. I'm actually apologizing for some of the horrible things that have been done in the past in the name of Jesus. The Muslims would be quick to remind us of the Crusades and the evil that was perpetrated on them throughout the Crusades. And what happened in the Crusades was really, really bad. Again, this wasn't one-sided. The Crusades were a response to the very bloody expansion of Islam. That doesn't make the Crusades right. The Crusades were wrong. And people in the name of Christ obliterated cities. They massacred men, women, and children. They murdered innocent people throughout that region of the world in the name of Christ. And that is very wrong. Again, at that time, the Catholic Church was in charge and the popes of the time allowed and even commanded people to carry out these crusades. And they did that knowing that your average person could not read the Bible in their own language and would have no idea that the Pope was commanding them to do something very different from what Christ commanded in Scripture. So the people that carried it out had virtually no other choice. They didn't even know Christ's commands, but they followed who they trusted was teaching them Christ's commands, even though those people were commanding these things capriciously. They were doing it for their own political interests, not for the good of those that they led, nor to follow Christ. So it wasn't truly Christian. But that being said, if you're a Muslim in the audience, thinking about the pain, suffering, and evil that your ancestors or people of your faith have experienced in the past because of so-called Christians, I want to apologize and let you know that even though Islam and Christianity are very different faiths, God desires that Christians would treat Muslims lovingly, loving them as themselves, having hard conversations about what's true and what's not, but having those conversations in love, putting each other's interests above our own. I have Muslim friends that I love dearly, and I hope that they will find Jesus as their Lord and Savior. I don't, however, think that anything bad should happen to them because they believe differently than me, and I don't wish any evil on them. And I would apologize to them and anyone else that's listening for the evils that have been perpetrated in the name of Christ on Muslims in the past. Also, many bad things have been done to the Jews in the past in the name of Christ. Anti-Semitism is a blight that persists on this world today, and it's horribly wrong. And I think as Christians today, we're standing with the Jews probably more than anybody else is. And I'm very proud of that fact. And I would encourage all Christians to stand with God's people, the Jews in Israel, in the midst of their continual persecution. I mean, they have rockets falling in their country by the hundreds on a daily basis, pretty much. This is crazy. And the fact that the world would think they're in the wrong is even more absurd. But the reality is that in the past, Christians have done wrong to the Jews as well. And for that, I'm very sorry. That's very wrong. And it was not Christ-like. It's important that we remember that God loves the Jews, and we all should as well. And especially as Christians, we owe them so much. And we should love them with Christ's love. I love the Apostle Paul's attitude. He wished that even he could be accursed so that the Jews might be saved. I pray that we'd all have that deep love for God's people, the Jews, as well.
and I'm very sorry for the wrongs done in the name of Christ to them in the past. In this country, many Native Americans were wronged in the name of Christ, and that's horrible. That's very wrong. Again, true Christians would never have done those things. They would have loved them. Somehow, people in the name of Christ did horrible things to the people that inhabited this country before Westerners arrived, before Europeans arrived. And that's very tragic. And to the Native Americans in this audience, and I imagine there are many being here in the Four Corners, I am so sorry for the horrible things perpetrated on Native Americans in the name of Christ in the past. Please forgive us for those things, and please know that Jesus never authorized those things. He told us to love you the way we even love ourselves, and that's not been done so well in the past, and for that I'm very, very sorry. Another group that Christians have not been so quick to love are gays and lesbians, and it's important to take a minute to apologize to those who have been shunned by Christians in the past. Now again, we have a lot of differences, and homosexuality is something that the Bible clearly says is a wrong action. And I want to be careful to state that because the Bible doesn't say that homosexual people are worse than other people. And I think that a lot of times in the past, Christians have looked on this entire demographic of society and kind of put them in their own little area of really bad people or seen them as worse than the others. And that's wrong. We need to look at those that we differ from and that we don't agree with on some levels and see them with love and compassion, the same love and compassion Jesus showed to those around him. If you're a gay person or a lesbian in this audience, if you're someone that has felt shunned by Christians in the past, I would ask your forgiveness for the way that you've been shunned and tell you that you can find hope in Christ alone. Only he has the answers that you're looking for. I would encourage you to go to GodSolutionShow.com and look at our recent interview with Brady Cohn titled Leaving Homosexuality. And you'll find a loving presentation of the gospel from someone who has come out of the homosexual lifestyle himself. The bottom line, though, is that Christians need to love homosexuals just like they love anyone else. And Jesus loves you even if you're not straight. He loves you as much as he loves anyone and he offers you forgiveness like he offers that to anyone if they will come to him, putting their faith in him, allowing him to be their Lord and Savior. And when he does that, he will change your life from the inside out. And he does that for everybody that chooses to follow him. He changes all of us. Another group that I would like to apologize to are any women that have felt wronged by Christians, and in particular those that have been undermined in the abortion debate. I think Christians rightfully so have taken a stand for the unborn. We have over a million babies a year being clinically murdered in this country. And I'm very, 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 very thankful for the fact that Christians are taking a stand against this genocide of the innocent. Now, a wrong consequence of that very good stand is that oftentimes we've made women that have been through abortion or are considering abortion maligned as well. And we need to look at those women and realize that maybe they made a bad decision at a very hard time in life. They still need to see Christ's love now more than ever. If you're a woman that's had an abortion and felt like you can't go to Christ because Christians would hate you or despise you, I beg you, 
to come to Christ. And I beg your forgiveness if you've faced any hate because of a bad decision that you made in your past. You are loved regardless of your sin. And Christ offers you hope and forgiveness as well. All right. The last group that I want to talk to and ask forgiveness from is you. I don't know who you are, but you're listening to this show right now. Whoever you are, I want to ask you forgiveness if something's been done wrongfully to you in the name of Christ in your past. I've met so many people in my ministry that have been treated so horribly in the past in the name of Christ. I've had people kicked out of youth group because they dressed too much like a skater. I've had people that said that they were asked to leave youth group because they had too many questions or someone that had some apologetical questions was told, you should just become an atheist then. The reality is that a lot of times people have not showed you the love that Christ offers you. If you've been hurt by Christians in the past, I want to ask your forgiveness. And I want to tell you that Jesus loves you today. And he desires that you would experience the love that he's commanded of all of his followers. Again, he said that the most important commandments are to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And to love others as ourselves. And if you've never experienced that, I'm very, very sorry. I would ask you to forgive us as Christians for not showing you that love. And I would ask you to come today to Jesus Christ and to experience his love. See, the Bible says that God loves you with an everlasting love, that he knows everything about you and still loves you, that he knows the worst things you've ever said, thought, or done and still loves you. He loves you even when you don't love yourself. And a lot of times that's not been portrayed to you or even communicated to you. He also says that you're sinful and you're separated from him. That doesn't mean you're an extra bad person or that you're worse than the next guy. It just means that neither you nor me nor anyone else measures up to God's perfection. And because of that, we can't be in the relationship with him that we were designed to be in. The Bible says that each one of us, regardless of our sin, regardless of our past, whether we were better or worse than the next guy, needs his forgiveness. Otherwise, we can never be in relationship with him. And if that remains the case, we'll be separated from him for all of eternity in what the Bible calls hell. That's horrible. But the good news is that Jesus, God in human flesh, came and lived a perfect life among us, dying on the cross for each one of us because he loved us. He died on that cross for you, taking your sins and mine upon him. The Bible says nailing them to the cross so that you wouldn't have to be separated from God any longer. He died on the cross paying for your sins, saying that anyone who puts their faith and trust in him, allowing him to be their Savior and Lord, would be forgiven for all they've ever done, thought, said, anything that they've ever imagined that was different from God's perfect standard of goodness, that they would be forgiven and adopted into his family, guaranteed a life of meaning and purpose on this planet, and an eternity with him in heaven. If you've never taken that step to say, Jesus, I need you, I'm a sinner, please forgive me, be my Savior and Lord, I would ask you to do that right now, knowing that you are loved by God. I hope that I spoke to your heart today, that I've been able to apologize to you for how Christians have hurt you in the past. Now I ask you to come to Christ, to recognize that he loves you. If you're there today and you want to take that step, say, Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. Thank you for being my Savior and Lord. Thank you for rising from that grave to give me new life. I ask you to take over my life. 
to lead me and guide me, to make me the kind of person that you want me to be. I put my faith and my trust in you this morning. The Bible says if you took that step, putting your faith and your trust in him, that you've been adopted into his family, that he's put his Holy Spirit in you, that you'll experience a life of meaning and purpose on this planet, and you have an eternity with him to look forward to in heaven. I encourage you to take the next step this morning. Go to GodSolutionShow.com and see a list of local churches that you could visit. We have the times and places that they meet right there to keep it really easy. And I promise if you visit any of those churches that I have listed, you're not going to be rejected. You're going to be shown the love that I talked about this morning on this show. I really, really ask you to respond to Christ. And I hope that my apology doesn't fall on deaf ears. If you've been hurt in the past, I'm very, very sorry. People in the name of Christ should not have done that to you. They should have loved you with his love. Now, I hope that you'll experience his love today. Like I always say on the show, an open mind, honest heart, humble disposition, and diligent search always lead to Jesus. And that's my hope, that you'll find him this morning, if you haven't already. And if you do know Jesus, I hope that you'll grow closer to him today than ever before. Thanks so much for listening to The God Solution. I'll see you next week. Have a wonderful Sunday afternoon. Our